Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. Also here is David uh, Duke. Mr. Duke is, uh, uh, what is your title? Grand Wizard or National Director. You are Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. Right. Uh, he's such a nice-looking boy. Uh, <laughs> You know what I mean. I, I don't mean to be flip about what I know. I know. People I know are surprised, huh? I guess so, because Hollywood's got this image that anybody who believes in their own race, if, it's, if they're white and wants to preserve it and have their children go to decent schools and grow up believing in this country, uh, they've got to somehow be old, they've got to have a big beer belly, they've got to be dirty, yeah. and I don't think that's the right image. You don't even chew tobacco, huh, Mr. Duke? No, a little uh, spearmint uh, juicy fruit once in a while. Welcome back to Fraudsters. I'm Cena Gaznavi at Cena Now on all social media. Justin Williams is here as well. You can find him on Facebook and JustinWilliamsComedy.com. Today, Justin, we're starting a three-part miniseries on the different types of fraud that happen around race. Isn't that exciting? Yes, as Vince McMahon would say, we're going to have a battle royal between racial groups. <laughs> Our favorite type of battle royale. You know, you heard David Duke on the intro there, and he's our leadoff fraudster. But I kind of want to just talk, like, very quickly about, like, why we're doing this. And I think it kind of started with Justin. We're like, we're like, do you have any ideas on episodes, Justin, that you'd like to do? And then this kind of, this series just birthed immediately out of you. Is that right? Yeah, because I was thinking about it. Like, you have the technical term for it, affinity fraud. Yeah. Uh, I call it race hustling. <laughs> uh, and so all this, there's all this race hustling uh, always around, whether it's hustling white supremacy or trying to hustle, like, pseudo-black nationalism. Like, everybody, like, the internet has created, all like, these huge spaces for hustling. And we just saw race hustling, like, take over the White House so, uh, you know, we now got to just kind of point into how like right, like racist ideas are all usually to perpetuate some type of fraud. That's my basic thesis. And I think that's what's so exciting is that affinity fraud is a real thing. And it's basically it's like if you care about something or rather even more than care about something, if you have something that's part of your identity, like your race or your religion, and then someone takes advantage of that and pulls one over on you or uses that part of your identity to enrich themselves. That's an affinity fraud. And so we're going to be talking about David Duke. We've got next episode, Dr. Umar with a little dash of Sean King. And then we're going to do some of the more, um, uh, I think more hilarious uh, fraudsters. No, no pun intended with Hilaria uh, Baldwin is going to be mentioned as well in part three, uh, along with Rachel Dolezal and the 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 poor man's Rachel Dolezal. Who was that other person? <laughs> Jessica Krug, Krug, the Kruger. Uh, <laughs> so that's what we'll be tackling in these three episodes. But I'm ready to get right in. Did you have any disclaimers, Justin, that you'd like to tell anyone? Is there anything, any advice for people that you want to give them as a professor of Black history and African American history? What can you give us as far as a setup here? Uh, please read peer-reviewed studies of history that give you complex views of historical phenomenon and even descriptions of group history. Uh, because anybody, anytime somebody's trying to give you like essentialized versions 
of people or groups are making like broad statements and stuff like that. They are lying to you with some kind of political agenda behind it. Stuff is very complicated. Uh, can't sum up civilizations and stereotypes. God bless. <laughs> <laughs> when when you want to think about history, cliff notes are not the best way to approach it. All right, so let's get into it. According to the Securities and Exchange Commission, because affinity frauds involve investments and stuff, and that's the purview of the SEC, they've actually defined infinity fraud. So you can imagine how much this had to have occurred in the history of this country for the SEC to create a very elaborate rule and a definition for an affinity fraud. And I'll read it here. Affinity fraud is a type of investment fraud that refers to investment scams that prey upon members of identifiable groups, such as religious or ethnic communities, the elderly, happens a lot, or professional groups. The fraudsters who promote affinity scams frequently are or pretend to be members of the group. They often enlist respected community or religious leaders from within the group to spread the word about the scheme by convincing those people that a fraudulent investment is legitimate and worthwhile. Many times, those leaders become unwitting victims of the fraudsters' ruse. These scams exploit the trust and friendship that exist in groups of people who have something in common. Because of the tight-knit structure of many groups, it can be difficult for regulators or law enforcement officials to detect an affinity scam. Victims often fail to notify authorities or pursue their legal remedies and instead try to work things out within the group. This is particularly true where there are fraudsters have used respected community or religious leaders to convince others to join the investment. Many affinity scams involve Ponzi or pyramid schemes. I mean, I'm not one to really love a definition, but that is a beautiful definition of what we're going to be covering over these next three episodes. The victims don't want to come forward. They want to try to solve it within the community, and these fraudsters always enlist leaders of that community to give them that kind of credence that they actually are doing something positive for the community. And nothing could be farther from the truth. Yeah, but it's always uh, all that energy is always sort of channeled into like a strict hierarchy that ends up benefiting one person. Coincidentally, exactly. Happen. I can't imagine why that happens. <laughs> It's like the nation of Islam. It turns out it's just fair. Exactly. (laughs) Freaking 80 years in a row. Bad teammates, these fraudsters. So David Duke is our first fraudster of the Race Hustler series here. And if you don't know him, he's a former grand wizard of the KKK. He ran the Klan for a while. every, Every Klan has their own chapters, which you'll find out a little bit later. But he is... A professional white supremacist. Justin, why is David Duke important? Uh, David Duke is important because he is the foremost white supremacist of the modern era. When we're talking about the era of like television and internet, uh, he's also responsible for taking the old image of guys in robes burning crosses out in the sticks and, uh, you know, putting on a suit and tie and turning the clan's message into a more palatable uh, idea of white pride or, or, or simply white empowerment rather than, uh, sort of, you know, outright hatred of blacks, even though it still does not like black people at all, right? Exactly. Exactly. Still hates anti Semitism. But, but so he's important because if you look at the transition of how a lot of white supremacist rhetoric has sort of mainstreamed itself in uh, American politics, David Duke actually pioneered this in the 70s and the 80s. So, in a lot of ways, we're kind of living in an environment where David Duke's talking points are now have, have now gone from being booed on uh, shows like Donahue to actually hosting Fox News shows, primetime networks. His point of view is actually the host of those shows now. Not to put too fun of a point on it, but let's go back to some clips of David Duke from the 90s actually trying to run for president. You know, I am, I am not a white supremacist. I do not endorse racism. I think there is racism going on today, except now it's being exercised against the white majority in hiring, promotions, scholarships. I even think there's a lot of media attack upon the heritage and values of middle America. We even have a situation in America right now where Christians are, are, are losing the right even to sing Christmas carols in our schools. 
Our traditions are being un are under attack in the society and we need to stand up for them. Ah, the attack on traditions. Because everyone hates fucking Christmas, isn't that right? Well, let's go and see how that is playing out today. You know what's coming, not just cold weather and shopping and caroling, but also new progressive attacks on Christmas. From my recollection of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and I haven't seen it in a while, but the point was... But do you see what liberals seek to do? They're trying to disrupt and destroy traditions and replace them with their own version of some transitory nonsense. And it's not like they stop with one thing, right? They find something, they kind of destroy that, and they'll move on to everything else that we love. That's what's so interesting about this guy is that that, that move from the, the white hoods to the suit and tie and the claiming of European heritage, trying to use the same kind of language that a lot of ethnic minorities would use uh, to try to make it seem like he's just another guy that's just trying to uphold his values. And then making that that suit and that, that kind of palatable image of the Klan is at the core of how he was able to gain in popularity, so much so that he actually served in the Louisiana state legislature in 1989. And I think it's important to note here that we're not trying to critique the Republican Party. What we are doing, though, is analyzing how an affinity fraud done over decades, led by David Duke and now followed by others, has seeped its way into the fundamental values of a group of people, in this case, white people, and the Republican Party. These folks were angry. They were vulnerable. They thought the government was out to get them. They thought uh, immigrants were out to get them. They thought there was a war on Christmas. But in reality, this was just people over time enriching themselves, capitalizing on their vulnerability. And to get more into who David Duke was and how he came about, we actually spoke with someone from the Anti-Defamation League. Isn't that right, Justin? Yes, that's right. The Anti-Defamation League is one of the foremost organizations that looks out for anti-Semitism in America. David Duke is perhaps the most famous anti-Semite in the United States with like actually a pretty scary global imprint. So we talked to Marilyn Mayo. She's a senior research fellow at the Anti-Defamation League, and she's an expert on extremism to get the lowdown on Duke and how race is hustle. Uh, thanks for joining us, Marilyn. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Duke's childhood? We're always interested in how the life experiences that come to like uh, inform the frauds that our subjects end up committing. Sure. It appears that, that Duke did not have a very happy childhood. Um, he had uh, a father who was kind of uh, cold and authoritarian, and um, his mom eventually started drinking and became a pretty serious alcoholic. And it seemed that he was at school an outcast a lot of the time and kind of a loner. So that pretty much defined a lot of his a lot of his childhood. And are those uh, common conditions for the kinds of people that sort of gravitate towards uh, neo-Nazi ideologies? Do you find that as a common theme? I think um, many different people you know, become extremists for different reasons, but I think that there is some there are some common themes and. Um, one is a sense of alienation, you know, of basically feeling that, you know, one doesn't belong or also a feeling of victimization. And I think that defines a lot of like, for example, the young white supremacists that we're seeing today, uh, many of them are, are college educated and they're, you know, they but they feel like they're victims of society um, in terms of, you know, minorities getting jobs or women getting jobs. And I think Duke comes from, you know, a similar kind of background in terms of that, you know, where he harbored a lot of our resentments. And I mean, he grew up in, you know, in the South at a time when racism was not that it's gone away, but it was such a, a daily part of life. There was segregation. He became involved in visiting the Citizens Council uh, office in his locale. And the Citizens Councils, the white Citizens Councils were the groups that promoted segregation throughout the South. And they were very active. And he started going to their offices and, and their, their office, I should say, in Louisiana, uh, near, um, near where he lived and you know, became very interested in the literature that they were selling. But he took it a step further because uh, he started you know, reading things like Mein Kampf, which was not something that they were not promoting 
um, you know, Nazi ideas, but they were promoting white supremacy and, you know, racial segregation and things like that, which of course fall under the rubric of what Nazis believed as well. They apparently were uncomfortable with his, you know, his focus on, on Hitler. That's splitting hairs there. Yeah. <laughs> what, what age was he, what age did he start going to that Council. I believe he was he was a teenager. So that's interesting. So so yeah. rough rough time at home, and then he finds a place where he gets validation from a community of people. I mean, at the end of the day, every kid's looking for a group that they can hang out with, really. A- absolutely, and um, you know, he seemed to uh, feel that he found a you know a place to belong there in terms of his and certainly in terms of his beliefs as well he uh he took it from there you know just to promote a lot of racist ideas apparently in school he um you know when he was asked to speak i mean you know at that young age as a teenager he was already promoting a lot of uh racist and anti-semitic ideas yeah and, and what were some of his earliest uh scams we had uh you know we're going to kind of go into uh you know collecting money for george wallace <laughs> Right. Yeah. He, you know, it's, it's interesting. He apparently, uh, he and, and was collecting money for Wallace's uh, campaign in 1972 and then pocketed the money. <laughs> so, uh, which, you know, tends to be a theme for David Duke, but that's, yeah, that's what happened. That was like probably the earliest, at least known uh, scheme that he was involved in. Ooh, George Wallace. Okay, we got to take a minute to break down old George Wallace because I don't think everyone, I feel like people hear George Wallace and they're like, oh, look, that guy was racist. And it's like, no, but you don't really know. Like, this man is is the racist. He's the one. He is the power, the source. So, so if you don't know who he is, I frankly think if you don't know who George Wallace is, your life is probably better for it. And the a little bit of ignorance that you may have about him is actually blissful and wonderful. But let us ruin all of that for you now and talk about George Wallace for a second. So, Justin, I want you to tell us a little bit about George Wallace. But first, I want to play a clip, one of his highlights, the highlight that sums up George Wallace. In the name of the greatest people that have ever trod this earth, I draw the line in the dust and toss the gauntlet before the feet of tyranny, and I say segregation now, segregation tomorrow, and segregation forever. Justin, break down this gem of a racist for us. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. 
George Wallace was the governor of Alabama during a time when the Democratic Party was the party of white supremacy in the American South. Wallace came to fame by blocking the University of Alabama from being integrated by the Kennedy administration. Uh, the dramatic video of Wallace prohibiting a federal agent from entering the University of Alabama and protecting segregation in the name of states' rights made uh, George Wallace a national figure against uh, civil rights and racial integration in America. Wallace took that claim to fame to not only become a successful figure in Alabama politics, but also ran for president on multiple occasions on a strictly segregationist anti-liberal platform. He remained a segregationist until he was shot in the 1970s during another run for president where afterwards he claimed to have become a born-again Christian and actually integrated his administration within Alabama. But before that, remember, he was the poster child for segregation and guess who gravitated towards him? David Duke, whose first scam was actually defrauding supporters of George Wallace's presidential campaign. So just to bring this back to what we were even talking about in the beginning... George Wallace is the leader that is the true believer. He was legit, right? He was not a scammer. He's not a scammer. Uh, you know, he's, you know, he's very, very well established. You can't really be a scammer when you're yelling segregation now, segregation forever, fighting the federal government to where they have to send in federal forces just to integrate your state university. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and also running on that as a national issue and also splintering the Democratic Party to where by the time Lyndon Johnson signs the Civil Rights and Voting Rights Act, he realizes uh, that he's lost the South for a generation. Yeah, exactly. And I think it all kind of turned out the way it's supposed to <laughs> for him signing that thing. So I'm glad he did it. <laughs> and just to build on that, right, David Duke saw a leader of a group of people where he shared the values and then you leveraged that leader's campaign to take money from them. And let's go back to Maryland to find out how it played out. Well, um, I, you know, I don't know actually all the details of that. I just know that he collected money, you know, for Wallace's campaign, not sure exactly how, but the Wallace campaign itself found out that oh. he didn't pay. <laughs> that, that's how they found out that the money you know, they didn't get the money. And that's that's how it was discovered. <laughs> I bet you at the campaign, they're like, wow, that nice kid, he stole the money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sweet kid. That nice kid that was, that was, that was also a segregationist, you just can't trust people these days, you know? Yeah. <laughs> if you can't right. trust a segregationist, who can you trust <laughs> yeah. these days? Oh, yeah. And wasn't there another incident, like after he's getting more involved in the Ku Klux Klan, that he used Klan money to redecorate his house? Yeah, you know, so he, you know, he... Again, after he became enamored of the, the White Citizens Council, he started kind of trying to figure out what direction to go in. And he, he started his own Klan group, which was actually um, a rival to some other Klan groups. Now, there isn't just one Klan, just to be clear. There are many different small local Klan groups. So, But he, he formed uh, the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. And he was, again, you know, collecting money, um, raising money, I should say. That's more actually accurate. And it was discovered by members of the group that he was actually pocketing the money again. And he was using it um, to, like, fix up his house. And he actually bought a house uh, as well. You know, he always claimed uh, poverty or he claimed that he needed money for, for the cause. But he was definitely taking the money and using it for his own needs. So Justin, this guy started his own branch of the clan and even ripped them off. Yeah, it's another example of ripping off his own people. And he started his own chapter and was accused by a member, Bill Wilkinson, of keeping money that should have been going to the cause. Wilkinson would actually go on to create his own chapter of the clan and become a media rival of sorts with David Duke. But he wouldn't wear a suit. He still rocked the hood and the robe. Here's a quick clip from him on CNN in the 80s. Now, I'm going to let the whole clip play because the interviewer here is this guy, Tom Braden, who I've never heard of before, but he's a guy that was a CNN host back in the 80s. And he's like, you think he's actually in the beginning praising him, but really it's just such beautiful early 80s shade. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my humble duty tonight to introduce you to the grand and imperial wizard of the invisible knights of the Ku Klux Klan, 
Mr. Bill Wilkinson. Oh, Imperial Wizard, can you tell me, and us, 100 years after you set the you, your predecessors, set the south aflame with the cross burnings, lynchings, and uh, other uh, events, you should be bothering this country still. To begin with, I believe a, a slight rebuttal is in order for your opening statements or the opening statements that was made about the Klan. We are not anti-Catholic. We are not anti-Semitic. Uh, we believe in the white race. We believe that at this point in time that white Americans are being treated as second-class citizens, that the federal laws, the civil rights laws, have created a dual system of justice in this country, uh, a set of federal laws that protects the interest of minorities and local and state laws. But grand and imperial wizard, if I may. Of white people. If now, I may interrupt, <clears throat> if I might be so bold as to interrupt the imperial wizard. Uh, it says on a uh, sheet that you people hand out to the young and the youths of our high schools, it says, uh, if you want to join the Klan, quote, I swear that I am of white non-Jewish heritage. Are you fed up with special privileges given to blacks? That's a quotation from your own literature. Absolutely. We are well, a what Christian. Do you mean you're not, what do you mean you're not anti-Semitic? We are a Christian organization. Uh, we also don't allow Buddhists or Muslims or atheists. I don't know. David Duke is what we might call a professional white supremacist. Um, he's <sighs> been at this for many, many years. And in fact, he's really raised money just promoting his ideas, his books, his, his merchandise. And he also did, but he did, you know, get elected. He did run for office. Right. That was the 1989 special election in Louisiana for the state legislature, right? Yeah, Louisiana State Legislature, exactly, exactly. And that's when he, you know, so he was elected, that was his job, but he soon, you know, decided to like run for other offices, like right after that. You know, he was running for governor, he was running for senator, he was trying to always push himself to the next level, you know, of being involved in politics. So when you say that he was a professional white supremacist, you really do mean that he was a spokesperson and would get fees or uh, take from funds uh, through a campaign to pay for his life. Is that is, is that accurate? Right. What he, what he would do is um, he would have many different fundraising letters that he would send out to supporters and in those letters, he would say things like, please help, you know, I, I, you know, I, you know, we have, we need money for the cause. We need to, you know, he'd kind of cry poverty. He'd say that, like, if he didn't get money, you know, they couldn't go on and fight for the cause. The case that really, really got him in trouble is he sold uh, the mailing list to Edward Foster, who was running for governor of Louisiana. And this was in, in the 90s, in like, I believe 1995. Quick correction there, that's actually Ed Foster who was running for governor at that time who bought the mailing list from David Duke. Now listen, it's not illegal to buy a mailing list. I mean, you could do that. Now, what it is problematic when you're running a political campaign and it comes out that you bought a mailing list from a white supremacist. So Foster did not want people to know. The problem is though, David Duke would get found out about selling the mailing list, and then that would start a federal investigation that would unravel how he was actually conducting an affinity fraud for quite some time. Now, what specifically happened was from 1993 to 1999, as Marilyn pointed out, he would be sending these letters out saying to people, hey, I am in dire straits. I need money. I need money for the cause. Please send me money. And so people loving David Duke, thinking he was the true, real deal white supremacist, would send him this money. Now, of course, he went on to not use that money appropriately. He actually even told people that he was losing his home and savings. But he had profit during that period. He had numerous investments accounts, and he gambled a ton of it away on the Mississippi River, in Las Vegas, and in the Bahamas. So it's pretty obvious now how he got caught for mail fraud. You send letters out to people with lies in them. You ask for money. Based on those lies, people send the money. Hey, welcome to mail fraud. He also got hit for tax fraud. And so tax fraud is because during that period, he actually didn't file his taxes appropriately. And this is kind of like, you know, once the government gets you, they're going to get you. And so he reported 
that in 1998 that his gross income was $18,831, when in reality it was $65,034. Not a huge difference, but a lie nonetheless. Remember, people, when you sign that little thing with uh, TurboTax or H&R Block or whoever you do your taxes with, when you sign your tax return, the government will fuck you if you lie. <laughs> they will come after you. So don't lie on your taxes, people, uh, unless, you know, you are the president of the United States. Anyways, how did he actually get caught, though? That is what is interesting. And what we found out was David Duke was actually using his girlfriend to launder the money that he was getting for the mailing list. Like we just said, Ed Foster doesn't want to get caught buying a mailing list from a white supremacist. So he does it through David Duke's girlfriend. The money goes into David Duke's girlfriend's account. And then once it's in that account, it's a, just a simple transfer to David Duke's account. And once it's in her account, it's a simple transfer to David Duke's account. Look at that. Very easy. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Well, on her way to the bank, David Duke's girlfriend was with one of David's mutual friends driving to the bank to ostensibly do this transfer, and they get pulled over for a routine traffic stop. Now, to get out of the ticket, it seemed as though the bright idea they had was to tell the officer what they were actually doing to enlist the white fundamental power of the officer and appeal to his whiteness so that he would help them out and let them off the hook. They told him straight up. Yeah, we got a mailing list that we're selling to the governor. We're just transferring the money uh, back to David Duke. You know, we work with David Duke. You know David Duke. David Duke, double D, D Duke, the Dukester. You know him, right, officer? Meanwhile, the officer, I hope, and we don't have a transcript of this, was probably playing along with it if they were a reasonable person. And <laughs> it just didn't work because the cop was black. <laughs> so the cop goes back to his car, gets on the horn, notifies his superiors. His superiors notify the FBI. It's 1995. This guy is now officially under FBI investigation. And it's really not that hard to see how he was laundering the money. Not that hard to see how he was using the mailing list. Not that hard to see that he was gambling his money away in Vegas, Bahamas, and the Mississippi River. Not that hard to see that this man was full of shit. So, David Duke, though, using his privileged whiteness, I would say, hears about the federal investigation actually goes and leaves the country because, you know, he doesn't want to get arrested. And where does he go? To his motherland, Europe. And so he does like the white supremacy odyssey tour where he goes to all of these spots that he's wildly popular in, including Russia, where he ended up staying for several years. And I think it's important to note here that this guy was internationally recognized. And we wanted to ask Marilyn about this as well. He hasn't just had an influence in the U.S., he's had influence in Europe. He traveled a lot in Europe. His book, you know, My Awakening, or, and then his other book, Jewish Supremacism, people have bought them in Europe. Uh, when we did a report, ADL did a report last year on international white supremacy, and I worked with five European organizations, and all of them said that Duke was an influence on the extremists in their country. So he's in Europe and he's there from about the late 90s, like 99 to about 2002, when he comes back to Louisiana, surrenders to federal authorities, having negotiated his surrender from Moscow. I mean, there's nothing more privileged than that that this guy could have done. He ends up serving 15 months in prison. And we always like to do this. What about the victims? What about their money? Well, <laughs> the agreement that he signed with the government, Mr. Duke did not have to refund any of the money. The district attorney at that time uh, said that the contributions were as small as $5 and that there were so many that returning the money would be, quote, unwieldy. So, man, this guy was stealing five bucks at a time from people who probably didn't have very much to give. And he didn't even have to return that money. It's all just at the tables in Vegas. 
So when he gets out of prison, it's not like he goes off into the distance. No, he still ensures that his message, that his professional white supremacistness still gets out to everyone that he knows. And Marilyn had some great info on how big his reach is. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all handpicked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big money at you know, Duke has a radio. He does most of his radio show. When Trump was running for office, he did, you know, get into the media again because he he promoted Trump and he he um, you know said he would if you didn't vote for Trump. I, I'm paraphrasing here, you know, that you're you can forget about your heritage kind of thing. So you know, he did come back into the media, but I don't. He's not um, really a leader in this in, in the way he was in his younger days. There are so many other people right now who are leading the cause, you know? So I think people see him as, some people at least see him as someone to be revered um, because of, you know, because he was in the movement for all these years, the white supremacist movement. Others, again, as I said, see him as old school and don't really want to associate with him. So I think you have both, but he, um, you know, if you go to his, his website, he's still trying to raise money, you know, for, you know, whatever he can, so. So at least on that point, he's just like every other fraudster where they won't stop. One of the things we've talked about on on this little mini series here is affinity fraud and how a fraudster can really utilize uh, the identity of a group of people and galvanize that identity around a nefarious purpose like paying for his gambling and his you know interior design or his personal yeah. expenses. How how is it that he was able to take advantage of so many people for so long? What is it about David Duke that kind of distinguishes him from, I don't know, the Richard Spencers or any of these other guys that are around the world? I would say, you know, what what Duke was able to do is he he had a very good sense of, uh, first of all, the media and getting media attention. And then he was able to kind of change himself as needed when he wanted to you know, raise money for different things, right? And so he's been able to promote himself in the ways that are needed to get people to support him. And I also think there's something in name recognition. We've said for many years that Duke is probably the most well-known white supremacist in the United States. And I think there's there's truth to that. So that people do respond to him, um, you know, in terms of having some kind of recognition. However, you know, in the later years when he ran for office, he did not really get as many votes, you know, so things are certainly different than they were back in the 80s. But he's managed to change himself when when needed to present himself as the person who um, is going to carry on, you know, the cause for, you know, for whatever in whatever way he could. 
So, Justin, I, you know, I loved talking with Marilyn. I thought she was great and she knows so much. And I think it's hilarious that she spends all of her time looking at these white supremacists. But I realized we didn't really talk about what whiteness means because, you know, we've said that, you know, David Duke uses white and whiteness, right? And, and blankets it in this kind of European American rights thing. Uh, but he's really using it as a, as a way of victimizing people. I think it's weird, though. A lot of these groups didn't used to be white. Like the Irish weren't white when they first came to this country. Yeah. So a good thing to remember for our listeners is that race is a social construction, right? It is not something that is based in biology. It can't be based in biology, right? Because we have, you know, migration and intermarriage and things like that. So there are no like pure blooded people in the world, right? Um, so uh, whiteness as a socially constructed category in the context of the United States in its beginnings really meant really like white Anglo-Saxon Protestantism, right? It's also linked to not just ethnicity, but also religion, which means that at first, you know, waves of immigrations of Catholics, Italians, Jews, and Slavs are initially excluded from whiteness. Those groups do things like through the, you know, forming uh, civil rights groups or or organized labor, or outright winning elections in places where they become a majority, make claims to whiteness that is often saying that they don't want to be treated as blacks in society, right? If you can look at early signs from New York, you'll see things that like no blacks, no Jews, no Irish need apply. Uh, the rejection of treatment as black or engaging in anti-black racism was a way that a lot of uh, new wave groups became white. And then there's also you know, ideas of assimilation, right? If you look at Germans, right, you have periods of anti-German sentiment in the United States, but a lot of Germans do things like anglicize their names, especially when you're talking about in the wake of world wars and things like that, right? So whiteness is an ongoing project that gets built and includes more groups. No one objects to the whiteness of the Irish today, for instance, right? Uh, no one, you know, objects to the, the, the whiteness of the Polish, right? But also other groups that don't come from Europe might be able to play into whites because a lot of whiteness is about perception and phenotype. So groups from the Middle East, right, yeah. can eventually become white in the United States. And that's actually what I wanted to bring up, too, because, you know, when I was younger, if people really didn't know my name, they just maybe assumed I was, quote, white. Right. And I was privy to almost like the Borat effect very often where people would disclose a lot of racist comments to me about people from other racial groups or, you know, different countries of origin. And I found it so weird. And even when I got older, I remember someone called me white adjacent, which I felt to be wildly offensive. And so I was like, man, like I'm either treated like a white person or like a terrorist uh, or like some elaborate drug dealer um, and I've had, you know, your typical racial experiences as an Iranian American. But one thing I do know about the Persian culture in America is that a lot of Persians have tried to assimilate into whiteness. And it is a thing that is happening. It happens with other Middle Eastern cultures as well. It's why it's so important to talk about this as a social construct. That it is just a thing that we made up in society to put us in groups to delineate power structures. And I think that is really important here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hilarious to see, like, for instance, that you know, the Irish being talked about as a threat to whiteness and a threat to civilization uh, in their arrival, right? And fast forward to today, like St. Patrick's Day is like a celebration of whiteness, right? <laughs> exactly. All right. Before we go, I got I got a couple clips that I want to play because we, they didn't really fit in naturally anywhere, but I, I really think we should talk about them. So David Duke ran for president in the early 90s. And he was on the ballot in a lot of states, and it was amazing the, the amount of media attention that he got, obviously. You know, when you come out, you know, swinging like he does in a very smooth and savvy way with his clean suits and Louisiana charm, he got on the ballot in a lot of states. One of the states that he did not get on the ballot was Wisconsin. So he went to Wisconsin and actually did a television show, a news talk show, kind of like Meet the Press or something, of Wisconsin. And they put him on a screen, and in the studio was the host, and the, the Wisconsin representative, who was just a state representative at the time, was Scott Walker. Now, let me be super clear. 
There are few politicians that I despise more than Scott Walker. Just very few. But in this clip, Scott Walker is actually the voice of reason. Scott Walker is saying what he was supposed to say. The only note that I would probably have for Scott Walker is that he should have been even more incensed. But you'll see. So we're going to play a clip of Scott Walker and David Duke and the, and the moderator going out of here on David Duke saying that he deserves to be on the ballot and Scott Walker trying to say that there's no chance that this guy should be on the ballot. Your viewpoints may uh, may or not be legitimate. We feel in particular that you're hiding behind some of the legitimate uh, interests of the working class Americans, issues as far as welfare reform, as far as uh, job protection, job security, issues that are important, particularly here in this district, in this part of Milwaukee. Well, why is it that I was Wisconsin. Let me finish, uh, Representative well, Duke, if you will, please. The key, though, is we feel that in particular, you're hiding behind these issues that are legitimate issues, but do not necessarily make you a legitimate candidate any more, any more than in the city of Milwaukee. If but, Jeffrey Dahmer were to stand up but wait and a minute, talk but about what, family what values, he, what, he, what, he, what he talks candidate. about, though, are Republican issues, the, the same issues that you talk about. What's the voters have a right, a, the okay. voters have a right, whether my issues are legitimate or not, and whether I'm legitimate or not, and talk about hiding behind issues. I was the first, I want to remind you, that I was the first Republican candidate in this country that used affirmative action as a political campaign issue. I'm the first one that had the guts to do that. I'm the first one that talked openly about the illegitimate welfare birth rate, the need to have workfare instead of welfare, and used it as campaign issues. Justin, this is a perfect example of David Duke bringing an issue to the forefront, and now all of a sudden, what is the biggest Republican talking point but being against affirmative action. Yeah, yeah, it was all, you know, it's all white identity politics. The idea that affirmative action uh, is costing people, the, the idea that welfare is only like black people having children. There's no like poor white people, you know, with a bunch of kids on welfare, you know what I mean? Uh, what I also like about this clip too is that it's a time when Scott Walker knew that you can't just let a white supremacist walk into the Republican Party because they're a threat to the entire process. Good thing uh, Scott Walker has learned that lesson and <laughs> still keeps it today. Yeah, all these guys fell in line eventually. And look, he's comparing David Duke to Jeffrey Dahmer at this point. Did anyone mention Jeffrey Dahmer in the last four years? I don't think so. Only when they were watching a Netflix movie or show. And that's a deep cut because Jeffrey Dahmer was it was like Milwaukee was his home turf. So that's 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 yeah. a local that's a local reference. Yeah, that's exactly right. Do you have any good bar references from from Wisconsin from any of your road gigs? Uh, no, I see, I've never played with, in Wisconsin before, but I know I would not do a Jeffrey Dahmer joke because that uh, it kills. I don't. <laughs> Hack joke. <laughs> All right. So people may not know this about us, Justin, but you and I started at SiriusXM where we were on air and we would take calls from people and we were on live radio. And that was probably uh, was some of the most fun I've ever had in radio is just taking calls with you. This show in beautiful Wisconsin fashion took calls and the calls. I mean, you just got to you just got to hear the people. You just got to hear them. Let's, well, go, we, let's go to the phones. People want to get in on this conversation. Jerry, are you proud to be a Republican with David Duke on the ticket? Yes. Okay. Yes. And by the way, Pat, Pat uh, uh, Buchanan. Uh, Buchanan, too, you know, they got the same bunch of people out there saying he's anti-Semitic. I mean, any, boy, you can't run in this country. I mean, uh, yeah, let him run. If he gets the votes, if the majority of people Pat this state want chance. him in there, then they want him in there. All right, we'll have to give him a chance. All right. Linda's on the line from Germantown. Go ahead. All I say is go for it, Duke, and stand up what our Constitution says, and I wish you all the luck. Okay, thanks Thank for you, ma'am. Thank you very much. Let's to uh, Michael from Milwaukee. Hi. Hello? Hi, go ahead. Hi, uh, quick comment to the, uh, to, you, to the commentator. I would like to quote what Bill Crosby said, first of all, a couple weeks ago, in that uh, the media really should stop referring to David Duke as the ex-Nazi or the ex-Klansman, but the, uh, the, he is a Republican candidate for president. But then to Mr. Scott, uh, I forgot your last name, sir. Walker. You know, Mr. Walker, uh, Mr. Duke is basically saying the kinds of things that the Republicans have been saying since the middle 60s. They started with the, this argument in the South in the middle 60s and pushed it north where these things happened. Now, he, refer he personifies the arguments that you've been using and the government governor's been using. So what's the problem? Let him get on the ballot. I don't understand the problem. Yeah. You know, who is this Scott Walker guy, a mouthpiece for the Republican Party? I've been a Republican for my entire life. Um, I, he does not represent my view at all. I want David Duke 
on the ballot. I don't want him determining who's on the ballot for me. Number two, I think David Duke is right on. And I, I think the only reason that they don't want him to run is because he's going to get... He made damn well win. <laughs> all right, all right. Appreciate the call. Thank you. Let's go to Cindy from Milwaukee. Hi. Hi, Cindy. Go ahead, quickly. Hi. I'm just to call to say I'm for David Duke all the way. It's about time we have someone who's, who's concerned about the people and to mm. do something about it. Oh, you got to go there. Give it to that David Duke. <laughs> you got to keep the blocks. <laughs> Yo, in the last three minutes, we've had Jeffrey Dahmer. We've had Scott Walker. We've had David Duke. We've had Bill Cosby. We've had Pat Buchanan. Pat Buchanan, we'll get into him in another episode, but it, it, you'd have to be crazy not to think that this man is not an anti-Semite. That is, <laughs> that is the basic knowledge of Pat Buchanan. He doesn't even care. And, and they also misquoted Bill Cosby. That's not what Bill Cosby said. What Bill Cosby actually said to the guy was, and you know, you get all right. <laughs> I think we did David Duke justice here and, and his his victims. If you're a white supremacist and a victim of David Duke, reach out to us, fraudsterslpn at gmail.com. We'll put uh, your email as junk. And so... <laughs> <laughs> okay that's it for this time uh next week we will get into dr umar johnson which is going to be very exciting i'm cena gasby at cena now justin williams on facebook and justinwilliamscomedy.com big thanks to hazel Bryan, our producer marie anderson on the edit obviously marilyn mayo big thanks to her and this has been a production of last podcast network and zero cool media we'll see you next week For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all handpicked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix.